The Gist is sponsored by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. Get a free trial and 10% off your first purchase when you visit squarespace.com and enter offer code GIST. And by Acura, the presenting sponsor of the 2015 Sundance Film Festival. Check out the all-new Acura TLX at Acura.com or test drive one for yourself at your local Acura dealer. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Thursday, January 29th, 2015 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Lindsey Graham, South Carolina Republican, might run for president. He's exploring it, and he's doing so in the way that we explore these days. No, not with drugs, not in lab coats, or with the Nina Pinta in Santa Maria. Through PACs. That's how potential presidents explore. They form a PAC. And Lindsey Graham's is called the Security Through Strength PAC, which is exactly how you name a PAC. You have a couple of words in there that are aspirational, that can't offend anybody that maybe get to the core of your beliefs, like Jeb Bush's Right to Rise pack. Bobby Jindal, little on the nose with his pack. It's the Stand Up to Washington pack. See, a lot of these other guys are going with USA AOK, but he's going with Cesspool on the Potomac, to quote an early Simpsons episode. Chris Christie is the Leadership Matters for America pack guy. Scott Walker, Our American Revival, that's Scott Walker's pack. Abraham Lincoln was the Our American Cousin pack. No, sorry, that was the play that was playing when he died. Reclaim America, affiliated with Marco Rubio. Jobs, Growth, and Freedom Fund. That's a grab bag out of Ted Cruz. But the worst, the absolute worst is, actually, it's the best. Former Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley. The O-Say Can You See Pack, and it's O-apostrophe-say. Oh, Jesus. I also very much do like Rand Paul's pack, Reinventing a New Direction. Get it? Rand, Reinventing a New Direction. I would name my pack maybe the uh, Free Refills and Hot Chocolate Chip Cookies pack. We could all get behind that, right? Or uh, the Whatever Happened to the Fast Talking Guy from the FedEx commercials. He was pretty funny pack. That's another definite winner. Well, today on the show, I'll be spieling. I'll be solving the world's problems in the spiel. And we'll be talking about the drug that I love, and so does the author of a book, Praising Caffeine. But first... President Obama was going to do away or wanted to do away with the 529 college savings plan right before just about everyone else in Washington said, dumb idea. Adam Davidson will join me to say, actually, it was kind of a smart idea. Okay, I'm going to put all my cards on the table. Though I am not a rich man, I consider myself more a giver than a taker, not a moocher. Got one kid in a public school, one kid not. But you know, I'm paying more in taxes than I'm taking. There is one exception. There's one government program, one tax subsidy that really helps me. It is called the 529. The 529 is a college savings plan that if you live in a state where there are state taxes or maybe city taxes, you don't have to pay state and city taxes if you invest in this vehicle. And like an IRA, it hopefully rises in money and it's tax free. So it's a supplement. It's It helps middle class taxpayers or anyone who contributes to it. The problem is 
from the people who are against it, which was President Obama up until a couple days ago. The problem is the people who do contribute to it make around or a median of $147,000 a year. So that means it is helping people who are already relatively well off. Still, I say $147,000 a year for a household that's two incomes of $75,000 each, that in New York City is a cop in the sixth year of a cop's job. He makes an average of $76,000, a cop and a nurse or two cops or two nurses. Joining me now is Adam Davidson, the founder of NPR's Planet Money. Couldn't, how you doing? I'm great, Mike. Could you put your cards on the table? You have a uh, cute little son. Do you take advantage of a 529? Absolutely. I max out. I've asked my parents. I've asked my wife's parents. I want everybody putting as much money in. That's good, then. We're in agreement 529s are great. I think 529s are terrible. How terrible you say plan. they're terrible? So you say the median income yes. that receives the 529 yes. is 147000 So that That's means just who chooses to invest who in chooses it. It's to not invest. my fault that people who make 35000 don't invest in it. Although, there's no reason for someone who's not paying taxes to invest in a vehicle to save on their taxes. So, of course, it's designed for affluent people. It's designed for affluent it's people. For and affluent the richer people. you are, in other words, the, the more, more tax you save on it. Yeah, right. the more yeah. tax you pay, Get the more that. you save on it. So that's perverse. In a way. So it's very perverse. Right. So the 529 plan, mm-hmm. which now the White House no longer is against, mm-hmm. is it's going to continue, and I'm going to continue to use it, is designed to benefit people. The richer you are, the more you benefit, because the more you pay in taxes, the more of a break you get by not paying taxes. Also, when you live in a state that has high taxes, and if you live in New York City or another city that has a high local tax rate, the more you benefit. So in other words, what we're saying is, hey, we're going to look around the country, and that group of people who we are going to subsidize their education are people who live in high-density, high-taxed coastal cities Mm -hmm. who make well over $100,000, in other words, who are in the top 10% of earnings. And who pays those taxes? Roughly half of Americans don't pay taxes. They either mm-hmm. don't make any income or they make too little. Right. But people who make, you or know... Al Sharpton. Or Al... <laughs> people make 30000 40000 50000 60000 70000 uh-huh. We're asking those people to yep. subsidize you and me and people richer than you and me. And that is a crazy system. We're also asking people... Someone who lives in Nashville, Tennessee, yeah. where there is no income tax, is subsidizing you and me who happen to live in New York City. Well, first of all, the states, Florida, Texas, Tennessee, where there's no income tax, the federal taxpayers are subsidizing them to some extent also because they're not paying things on the state level. Guess what? They're using more federal s- subsidies. I think every state should pay an income tax. Also, they're drawing people from the states with income tax. Fine. A couple things. Tax code is written to influence behavior. If the behavior is saving for a child's education, that is good behavior that we want to influence, even if it helps rich people. And that seems to be the big problem with what you're saying with the critics of this plan, but it's helping rich people. Sometimes you got to suck up the fact that it's also helping rich people if it also helps what I would definitely call middle-income people. Unlike the mortgage deduction, which is a SOP to homeowners, helps the rich, but also doesn't achieve the goal of owning houses, at least the 529 does get you a little closer to this all but impossible goal of paying for colleges whose prices are crazy. But the 529 does exactly the same as the mortgage interest tax deduction. By well, it doesn't achieve, but, but part of it does. It subsidizes rich people. But without the mortgage tax deduction, people would still buy houses and afford houses. Without this, a lot it, college would be le- much less affordable. But by making college more affordable, you're increasing demand for college, and therefore you're increasing the price of college. So you're, you're yes, you're, that's true. So you're directly 
I mean, the 529 isn't, I don't think, in and of itself big enough to move the needle that much on, on college prices. But it's exactly like the mortgage interest tax deduction, which basically is a big benefit to homeowners and enormous pain to the marginal person who might be able to buy a home but can't because they're too expensive because the mortgage interest tax deduction deduction inflates. So if you're, let's say you're a family of two who makes $60,000 a okay. year. Okay. By the way, so $100,000, your old question was that put you in the 67th percentile. And I would submit that depending on where you live, that really is middle class. It is the middle two thirds. Now you're saying 60,000, which puts you in the, if your family owns 36 percentile. So we're talking exactly the top third in your last example. Now, almost exactly the bottom third. Go ahead. Okay. That person can't really benefit from the 529 because they don't pay enough in taxes to benefit that much. Mm-hmm. Or if they do benefit, it's it's a trivial yeah. amount. But because you benefit, your kids now go to Harvard instead of SUNY Purchase. Yeah. And Harvard is now more expensive because there's more demand because more people are, are going there. So that family making sixty, seventy thousand Harvard is now further away for them. Yeah, except that now with needs blind meeting of financial goals, I would submit that someone making much less money, maybe even much less than 60000 would get a great financial aid package to afford the college, whereas the colleges just look at stats that say, hey, $147,000, that's in the top uh, you know, 3% of households, and not give you any financial aid. But our kids are going to go to college. And yeah. my hunch is they're going to go to decent colleges. And, and we're going to figure out a way to make that well, work. Well, now that they've Would... closed the clown college in Sarasota, that's probably true. Did that happen? Yes, it's gone. The people that I think we want to focus on. So, so, so if, I forget the exact numbers, but if roughly a third of Americans graduate college, in that other group, the two-thirds who don't go to college, there's some large number of them who probably, they weren't going to get through college. You know, I have a, a cousin who went to college for two weeks and said, this isn't for me. And I think he probably made the right decision. He mm-hmm. was not going to thrive in college. But there's some number of people, maybe it's 5%, maybe it's 10%. But in a country as big as America, we're talking about millions and millions of people. That marginal person for whom the choice really comes down to, can I afford it or not? What you and I are talking about is upper middle class fairly well-educated people with solid jobs. Our kids are almost certainly, statistically, highly likely to go to a decent school and probably do fairly well in life. The people I would worry about are the people who have the gifts to go to college, they have the intellectual ability, and they're truly on the margin. And the 529 is taking money from their parents and giving it to us. And that just strikes me as wrong. That strikes me as bad public policy. Well, either you say there should be no subsidies or we subsidize things that are necessary. Well, I would say there should be basically no subsidies or subsidies should only go, let's have a ceiling of well below $100,000 a year. I look at this policy as we all pay a big pool of money to the government. The government every once in a while says, but there are some things we really want you to spend your money on so much so that we'll give it to you back. And one of those is educating your children. But why not do it like the earned income tax credit, where the poorer you are, the more benefit? But the poor are already not paying taxes on mostly anything. So increase the earned income tax credit if your kid, you know, finishes two years of college or something like that. And I say, why can't you do both? The 529 is not the enemy of a poor kid going to college. The 529 is... It's the subsidies to the sorghum guy in North Dakota. It's every other bit of the pool of money the government has. That like the 529 might not be. That's just because you like it. No, the 529 might not be perfect, but it really leads to an outcome, which is the education of children. 
children, whereas all this other stuff that the government is collecting money on, a lot of it no. leads to we're spending I, I, on ridiculous I think it, stuff. I don't think so. I think that the 529 benefits the rich and it benefits the schools. It doesn't college. benefit the middle class by the number, by the percentile number. But like I said, it benefits people in the 67th percentile yes, it, at the you, same You happen to be exactly the, the people. Like yeah. Literally, the 529 should be called the people who live in New York City and make over $150,000 a year subsidy act. That's yeah. what it is. And you happen to be one of those you people. You should say individuals who make over 75000 All right, individuals who make over 75000 Us rich guys. Well, yeah. no. I mean, well, the median's 147 The median person, not the median no, benefit. No, the median family. The but median. the median benefit, because yeah. the more you make, the more the benefit is. So if the median income is 140, about $150,000, yeah. there's far more subsidy going to the higher people than the lower people. So, so if you looked I'm at- I'm willing to let the rich- Get a little if I can I, get a little. Yeah, you. I'm are, willing to let the rich save a lot. My argument is, <laughs> if we fill this studio with the sorghum farmer from uh, North Dakota, I don't know where they grow sorghum. Yeah, the cotton farmer from West Texas, the entire area of Lubbock, Texas, would not exist but for. Have you gov- been to Lubbock? I have. That's okay. It wouldn't exist, and when you go to Lubbock, Texas, they make a very powerful argument yeah. for why they need that government subsidy. My dad is a 78 year old actor. He's a great guy. He said, I don't think the government should subsidize things. I only think they should subsidize two things, the arts and senior citizens. (laughs) And you, Mike Pesca. This would, the proliferation (laughs) of guys playing King Lear would be out of control. (laughs) Exactly. Well, well, listen, I want to end it here on this note that uh, Adam Davidson, co-founder of Planet Money, it was great besting you in a debate. And thank you very much. Mike, I would love for people to go to your Facebook page and tell you that you are wrong you are a greedy horrible person uh-huh. who is destroying america okay and include your family income in that response Sla- facebook.com slash slate gist thank you the vanquished and defeated adam davidson i love you mike pesca love you too We're sponsored by Squarespace. In fact, the very first thing you heard on this podcast was me saying Squarespace, how it's an all-in-one platform. I use words like fast. I use words like easy. I use words like professional website. Putting that aside for a second, I'd like to talk about Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges will be doing an ad for Squarespace during the Super Bowl. It costs $4.5 million to advertise during the Super Bowl. And Jeff Bridges, the dude from The Big Lebowski, will be in the ad. They've partnered with Squarespace to bring a project to life called Dreaming with Jeff. It's something that Jeff is really behind. It's not tongue-in-cheek. He wants to create an album, and he has created an album of unique and relaxing sounds. And if you go to dreamingwithjeff.com, you can check out these guided meditations, these stories to lull you to sleep. Jeff Bridges is the face of a charity called No Kid Hungry. You can tell what that does by context. All proceeds from the Jeff Bridges sleeping tapes will go to No Kid Hungry. So, back to Squarespace. Start a trial with Squarespace and no credit card required, and you can start building your website today. And when you do, you could be overcome with a peaceful feeling if you listen to the Jeff Bridges meditation tapes. The two go very well together. We should also say that when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, use the offer code GIST and get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you, Squarespace, for your support of drinking water slowly, the sounds thereof, and the GIST. 
So whether you get your wings via Red Bull or a coffee achiever or a McDonald's McCafe coffee, let's say beneficer, you know how important coffee is. In fact, if I told you there was a drug that makes you peppy, responsive, and alert, you would say this gives lie to the entire notion of hugs, not drugs. Why not both? Coffee is embraced to a great degree by Americans and by my next guest, Murray Carpenter, who has written Caffeinated, How Our Daily Habit Helps, Hurts, and Hooks Us. Hello, Murray. Hello. So you actually invented a system, or at least a new measurement tool. Why don't you tell me what it is and then how much you consume on that scale? So I invented this uh, system called a SCAD, basically a, a way for us to understand to quantify caffeine, and it's uh, 75 milligrams of caffeine, which tends to be an amount that a lot of people come back to in, in one way or another. So it's roughly the amount in a shot of espresso, a Diet Coke, about five ounces of coffee, maybe two cups of tea. So that would mean four scads would be one of those venti Starbucks cups, 20 ounces? It would actually be less. I mean, four scads would be about the amount you would get in, in uh, you know, a 16-ounce Starbucks it's interesting that you point this out because, like, one scad would be a Red Bull, but, you know, a 16-ounce Starbucks would be about four scads worth of, of uh, caffeine. But if, you, if someone said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm jacked up, I, I just had a grande from, from Starbucks, you, you think, oh, you know, not a big deal. But if someone, you know, sat down in front of you and, and chugged four Red Bulls, you would think, whoa, man, he's, he's going to go to the moon. I guess it's because of the cultural associations based on each of them and Red Bull endorsing extreme sports, same as Mountain Dew, almost wanting to assure people or wanting to convince people that this is the path to caffeination, whereas Starbucks kind of wants to do the opposite. Like, they know you're there for the drug, but they want to assure you that it's all about, you know, adult contemporary uh, music and cushy seats. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Yeah, I think Starbucks, and, and this is a, a criticism I have uh, of Starbucks, and I think of most uh, of the, the coffee industry in general, because that they really don't embrace caffeine, uh, and, and it, it doesn't allow us to have a, a very sophisticated conversation about it. And one example of this is in, in Howard Schultz's book, Onward, he uses the word caffeine only one time, and that's in uh, a derogatory reference to diner coffee. Yeah. So, yeah, of course, we're, I, I think, you know, we're all there for the caffeine, but uh, Starbucks tends to emphasize the other attributes of coffee, the flavors. Uh, there's a lot of talk, of course, about the origins, who's growing this coffee, you know, where it came from, and, yeah, the secondary aspects of the atmosphere in which you're, you're consuming your coffee. So caffeine is found in these plants, but, you know, why? Is it just this weird quirk that plants have this weird effect? Is there any reason why the bean would have this effect on us, like naturally something having to do with Darwinism or something? It seems to be that the, the plant certainly evolved caffeine uh, independently on virtually all over the world without humans along to help them, which is to say caffeine seems to evolve, have evolved much earlier than human use of caffeine. So but it, it does seem to be a matter of, uh, you know, caffeine exists naturally in plants, and, and, and its primary function there seems to be as an insecticide. But what, what is interesting is that as, as soon as people discovered you know, that plants having caffeine, then humans have tended to consume it. And so this happened independently. So in, in Central America 3,000 years ago, people discovered that chocolate had caffeine, or people discovered that they liked chocolate and it was caffeinated. And, and so chocolate culture emerged there. Uh, around the same time in Asia, 
people were starting to drink tea and and to enjoy it. And I think, you know, for its caffeination, maybe a thousand years later in Africa, people learned that, that the coffee plant had caffeine and began to consume it. So I think it was just one of those sort of pairings, humans and caffeine, that was, that was really inevitable. Does big caffeine, either big coffee or the soda companies, get in the way of research into the harmful effects of caffeine like the NRA does with guns? I wouldn't say so, no. I mean, you know, because a lot of this research is being conducted independently by research hospitals such as Hopkins. I, th- I think there is an awful lot of research out there ab- about caffeine. Uh, I-, I think what the beverages lobby does is they're very good at emphasizing the positives and trying to uh, sort of run interference on the negatives. And, and you know, uh, one of the things that's become an issue lately has been the, the concerns about young people consuming energy drinks. This has been something that's, that's been uh, a source of tension between the beverage industry and FDA and, and some health advocates. Are the harmful effects of caffeine because of the caffeine or because that caffeine allows us to lead harmful lifestyles in terms of not getting enough sleep and then drugging ourselves to make up for that? One of my sources uh, called this sort of a, a, a vicious circle of supplementation, the idea that you, you would get so jacked up on caffeine that, you know, you, you come screaming into the, uh, the evening uh, still animated when your body should be winding down and then you want a couple of drinks to sort of wind down and then you're not sleeping as well. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's one concern. Uh, the, in, in the book, I focused more on the sort of acute concerns or that, that, uh, that the health effects that we know about and, and can quantify more easily. So caffeine's effects on sleep, uh, and its effects on anxiety, for example. And what are those? Sleep is, is one that I, th- I think it's the best known harm, harmful effect on caffeine. Is that it really can impact your sleep cycle. So some people can drink coffee right up until the moment they go to sleep and sleep like babies, but most of us are not wired that way. So for most people, we, have, we, we figure this out and we have a time and during the day when we say, okay, I'm not going to have a cup of coffee after 2 o'clock, for example. For some people, just a small amount of caffeine early in the day can disrupt their sleep cycle. So the reason I think this is important is because insomnia is a huge problem in our culture, and we, we all also consume a lot of caffeine. So if you have trouble sleeping, I think it's important that you maybe experiment with reducing uh, or even eliminating caffeine from your diet for a while, because otherwise you might not know the degree to which it's affecting your sleep. And do you have any idea why caffeine, alone among beverages, always comes with free refills? <laughs> That's a great question. It's funny. Uh, I think it, it just makes you, it makes you happy when someone comes around and refills your cup. Uh, <laughs> I, I really don't know exactly why that is. A man whose knowledge is as bottomless as the coffee in the Olympia Diner, Murray Carpenter, author of Caffeinated, How Our Daily Habit Helps, Hurts, and Hooks Us. Thank you, Murray. Well, thank you very much for your interest. The Gist is brought to you by Acura, the presenting sponsor of the 2015 Sundance Film Festival. Acura understands the power of performance, how every moment should be infused with emotion, and every moment should evoke a thrill. A great performance is what Acura wants drivers to experience every time they get behind the wheel, which is why Acura is a proud official presenting sponsor of the Sundance Film Festival. Check out the all-new Acura TLX at Acura.com or test drive one for yourself at your local Acura dealer. And now the spiel, the return of the segment grounded in humility and bonhomie, Mike solves the world's problems. Now, really, 
For this edition of Mike Solves the World's Problems, I just have really one big solution I wanted to get off my chest. And it's not really a world problem. It's more of a domestic problem. We'll get to that. But I wanted to adhere to the ground rules of the segment. So I will now solve a world problem. Okay. The West, actually more than the West, this now includes the country of Jordan, has a conundrum, an ethical conundrum in dealing with ISIS or ISIL or the Islamic State or whatever that derogatory phrase John Kerry is now using. So the U.S. will not swap prisoners with this terrorist entity. In fact, a deal was reportedly offered for James Foley. The U.S. turned it down. James Foley tragically killed by ISIS because there was no swap. The United States wouldn't swap. But now the nation of Jordan reportedly has accepted terms of a swap with ISIS, although the deadline has passed. We don't know how it's going to play out. So ISIS would give up a Japanese journalist that they had, and also Jordan insisted a Jordanian pilot who was shot down for an Al-Qaeda operative who was involved in the bombing of an Amman hotel. So this is the conundrum. If you deal with ISIS, you might get your prisoners back, but you're just incentivizing them to kidnap anew, and you do release truly dangerous people. So here's my solution. Instead of letting ISIS dictate the terms of who they want, you or us, say the U.S. government, let's go out and kidnap some ISIS guys. Doesn't seem that hard. Here's why I say that. Every time there's an attack or a raid on ISIS, it really just happened once to try to extract prisoners. The details are always, you know, special operations forces killed a whole lot of ISIS guys, but the hostages were killed in the process. But killing the ISIS guys, that was the easy part. And we're always told that ISIS is on the march. ISIS is swelling and growing ranks. These guys got to be easy pickings. Let's go. Let's grab them. And the next time ISIS releases a video of a threatened beheading, we say to them, all right, now you can have your guys back. And since we're better than ISIS, we never threaten to kill their guys. We should just keep their guys. So what's the downside? We captured a couple of ISIS fighters. That's good. You can argue that ISIS will be mad and want to kidnap Westerners. Guess what? They already want to kidnap Westerners. It's rough. It's tough. It's unflinching. It's not warm and fuzzy, but that was an example of Mike Solves, the world's problems. But now stateside, McDonald's, actually, there are thousands of McDonald's outlets worldwide, but their CEO, Don Thompson, who took over the top spot in 2012, found out that much like the McRib, his job was for a limited time only. So Don Thompson is out. Now, I kid Don Thompson, but like Ronald McDonald himself, I do so with a grimace. Thompson was one of only five African-American Fortune 500 CEOs. The guys who run Merck, TIAA, Cref, and American Express, and also Ursula Burns, CEO of Xerox. They're the other African-American Fortune 500 CEOs. Clarence Otis Jr. used to run Darden Restaurants. They own Olive Garden. He was ousted this year. So by my count, that is only four. Two-thirds of 1%. W.E.B. Du Bois talked about the talented 10th. To get up to a 10th of the Fortune 500, we'd have to hire 46 more black CEOs, increase their number by an order of magnitude, and still, still African Americans would be underrepresented on that list because black people make up about 13% of the population. So that is a glaring problem, no doubt. That is not the problem that I could solve today. The problem I could solve today is, well, there wasn't one news report about the decline of McDonald's that didn't mention the fast food company that McDonald's was once the majority shareholder of. Companies like Chipotle, John, uh, pretty much ate the McDonald's star. 
I didn't even know stars were on the menu. That is what's holding McDonald's back. No, seriously, what is holding McDonald's back is image. People think of it as huge, unhealthy, impersonal, unhealthy, and unhealthy. It's sort of like the McDonald's of fast food. If you get called the McDonald's of something, it means you're big, but it's also a slap at quality. So how to fix it? Well, the companies that are beating McDonald's all have the image of taking quality seriously. Last week, Chipotle stopped offering carnitas, pork, because its pork supplier couldn't get enough humanely raised and slaughtered pigs to fill Chipotle's needs. Chipotle makes people feel good about themselves because Chipotle makes it clear that they only use pigs that have been allowed to walk around a little. And by use pigs, I mean stab them to death. Actually, no, I'm kidding. They electrocute the pigs to death. But anyway, they only murder the happiest pigs. And it gives Chipotle a sheen of do-gooderness. McDonald's needs this. Here's what McDonald's needs to do. McDonald's either needs to introduce a new menu item or, better yet, identify the worst-selling item on the menu and then make an ostentatious announcement McDonald's can no longer serve this item because it cannot procure said item up to its strict ethical and nutritional standards. Now, I just need McDonald's to know because they sometimes screw up these great ideas. Please, I do not want to see a sign that says, due to the lack of ethically slaughtered leprechauns, we will not be offering the Shamrock Shake this year. That is not what I meant. I will leave you with a quote from McDonald's outgoing CEO, Don Thompson, endorsing incoming CEO, Steve Easterbrook. Rebel, rebel. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was a hamburger. All right, all right, all right. Thompson said. How do I say goodbye? There is a time and a season for everything. I'm truly confident as I pass the reins over to Steve that he will continue to move our business and brand forward. And he added, and I am not making this up, it is tough to say goodbye to the Mick family. Now, Thompson, here talking to ABC, did claim that while CEO, he ate McDonald's every day. Some days I have a Southwest salad. Some days a Big Mac. Uh, some days I'll have fries because can't, I can't give up fries. So I'll go extra on the treadmill, extra on the elliptical. Even so, Don Thompson, I will now solve your problems. By advising you to toss that quarter pounder with cheese in the garbage and order a kale shake from Jamba Juice. You may wish to begin eating meals that do not include a Pixar tie-in. And through this method, you will see that in six months, your cholesterol has plunged to under 200 milligrams per deciliter from its current level, which is tangy barbecue. And that has been Mike Solves the World's Problems. You're welcome, world. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi has Dog Pack, which is not a political action committee, but a bunch of dogs. Dogs that strongly believe in America's revival. Joel Meyer, managing producer of Slate Podcasts, is behind Bear Pack. They stand for marking your territory through urinating, defecating, and by scratching, rubbing, and biting trees. Andy Bowers, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, is the driving force behind reviving America's greatness through reasoned panel discussion pack. We're on iTunes. That's a great place to check us out. When you're there, leave us a review. If you want our daily email, it's slate.com slash gist email. Yo's another efficient way to get the gist. We're on Yo. Download that app and then sign up for podcast. Now, I talk about Facebook all the time, but I really mean it. 
Facebook.com slash Slate Gist. And also, right now I want to ask you a small favor. We're trying to learn more about our podcast listeners. We want you to tell us which podcasts you enjoy and how often you listen to them and how you find out about new podcasts. That's always, I think, the hurdle for me. I know that so many people would like them, but how do you find out about them? It's a real word-of-mouth medium. We created a survey. It takes a couple minutes to complete. If you fill it out, you will help Slate continue to make great podcasts. The more knowledge we have, the more likely it is that we'll make podcasts you like. And then we'll even come up with things you didn't even know you like. So fill out the survey. Go to slate.com slash survey, or you can click the link we've provided in the show notes for this episode. Again, I'll say it again, slate.com slash survey, or click the links. So I've been trying to think of a name. Should we call Just Pack? What do we do with Just Pack? I want to take the Rand Paul example. Maybe it could be the Give Igloos the Silent Treatment Pack. No. Gravelly Iowan Stuffed into Town Halls Pack. No. The Just Pack could be going into sketchy territory. Maybe. I got it. Gamely insisting on singing terribly. Please support the Just Pack. And thanks for listening. I'm David Plotz. This week on the Slate Political Gab Fest are politically correct scolds destroying liberal free speech in America. Look for us in the Slate store on iTunes or at slate.com slash podcasts.